So we're, we're talking about the third person of the Trinity. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. And we're doing all of this in preparation for Sunday, June the 9th. And I want to encourage you to mark that on your calendars. Um, that's the day of Pentecost. And in the 31 years of my uh, walk with the Lord, I've never celebrated Pentecost with a church family. Celebrated Christmas, celebrated Easter, never celebrated the coming of the Holy Spirit. Coming of the Holy Spirit is a crucial moment in, in history. And so we're going to celebrate it this year. And everything we're doing uh, is to build up to that and to get a sense of who the Holy Spirit is and how it is we experience Him. The Holy Spirit is not the cousin it of the Trinity. Holy Spirit is a person. You know, it's so funny that we're, we're, we're in this series and, and yesterday was, you know, what is it, May the 4th be with you, the uh, Star Wars kind of goofiness. And He's not a force. He's not... This, um, this power that you tap into. He is a person. And so we're going to seek to understand this person. I real quick want to give you a review from last week because, man, we were going so fast and I felt like, man, I really shorted you guys, especially at the 11 o'clock hour. So three things I wanted you to get, all right? The first is this. The Holy Spirit has been revealed uh, in different ways over the years. So in the Old Testament, the Spirit would come upon people, okay? We're going to come back to this today. You're going to see this language today. And as a matter of fact, today's message is really, we're going to dig down deeper into uh, what the Bible says about uh, how the Holy Spirit has been revealed. Now, during the days of Jesus, the Spirit was with the Spirit was with people. So to be with Jesus was to be with the Holy Spirit. Now to be away from Jesus, not to be in his physical geography, you were not with the Holy Spirit because the Spirit was upon, but not within. He was with because Jesus is God. And so that, that was a different, and we're going to really unpack some of that today in how amazing uh, God's Word is to, to show us this. I, I hope it inspires you as much as it did me. And then post-Pentecost, the Spirit was and is within, and we'll see that again today. We'll see that language as we, as we get finished with the message today, that the Holy Spirit is now within those who believe. Second thing we talked about last week is that the Holy Spirit provides the fruit of the Spirit. So all Christians, everyone who's repented and believed in Jesus Christ, you experience the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Every born-again believer experiences the fruit of the Spirit. You also experience the benefits of the Spirit. Those benefits are described in John 14 through 16. I encourage you to read that. I want you to, again this week, go back and read John 14 through 16 as Jesus is talking about the coming of the Comforter, the Paraclete, as he's talking about the Helper, as he's talking about the Holy Spirit coming. He lists uh, many of the benefits of the Holy Spirit that all God's adopted children, by grace through faith in Christ alone, experience. The third thing the Holy Spirit provides are gifts of the Spirit. Every born-again believer has gifts of the Spirit, but we don't have the same gifts. And there are some people who will say, hey, if you don't have this spiritual gift, then you're probably not saved. That's a lie. Don't you believe that? You have a unique set of spiritual gifts. I have a unique set of spiritual gifts. And, by, and they're given to us by the will of the Holy Spirit. And the will of the Holy Spirit is that we would each function within our part of the body of Christ. The example I gave last week is God is cooking something up at Living Hope. And all the ingredients are necessary. But if you're not engaged in your small group, if you're not engaged in the life of this church, then something important is missing. 
The Spirit of God in you has gifted you, and those gifts are necessary and needed. And if you're not living out your gifts and using those gifts, well, we're we're missing out on something very significant. You need to take responsibility for that. You need to step up. And so the Holy Spirit does a third thing. The Holy Spirit is a person who thinks, wills, and fills. The Holy Spirit thinks, and He drives our thinking. I cannot tell you how many times when I've not understood a text, and that happens a lot. And I go to the commentaries, and the commentaries aren't clear, and I think about what my professors in seminary said, and it's still not clear, and I say, Holy Spirit, please show me what this means. And I cannot tell you how many times he has shown me what a text means by showing me another text. See, the Bible speaks of the Bible. The Bible interprets the Bible. The Bible lets us know what the Bible means. And the Spirit of God will give you his words to understand his word. And sometimes supernaturally, I meant to tell you this story last week. Uh, about 10 years ago, a group of us were in Africa training uh, the first church plant in uh, this portion of Africa. We were training these leaders. Many of them are now church planters uh, in that region of the world. We were training them with the understanding that they basically had four books of the Bible. Now, these brothers are um, illiterate. They can't read. So the only way they could understand or know the Bible was to have it spoken to them. And so they would do this with a unique cassette device. Now, how many of you guys know what a cassette is? (laughs) Yes, all the high school students out there, what's a cassette, right? Uh, How many of you know what an 8-track is? Yeah, the children of the 70s, now we're talking, all right. Well, these guys had a cassette player, and they didn't have electricity, so check it out. They had this device. They would wind it up to create electrical current. Then they would push play, and it would play the tape. They had, from what I can remember, one Old Testament and three New Testament books of the Bible. And that's all they had, and that's all they knew. So we were teaching, and they were asking questions. And I remember there was a question asked, and I sort of answered it. And then I said, you know, and how would you complete this? How else would you be able to describe this? And this brother began to quote another section of scripture in a book that they had not received before. And so I looked to our translator and said, now why is he quoting this? And he said, what's he quoting? I said, well, I was just studying this this morning. the reason why I know. He just quoted a paragraph out of this chapter. And so they started having a dialogue. And the guy looked at me and said, he's never heard this before. He just started speaking as his mind was telling him what was true. The Holy Spirit of God had given him the word of God to speak. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. He guides, every one of these sermons are the same, but they're completely different. I don't know why. I mean, I've got the same notes. I'm the same guy, but it's a different moment. You're different. We're experiencing something different right now. And the Holy Spirit is guiding his truth. He's guiding his under, the understanding. He thinks, he, he also, he wills. He has a, 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 a motivation and he feels. And we grieve the Holy Spirit. Please understand, when you and I sin, when we're apathetic to the things of God, we grieve the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean we lose our salvation. What it means is we get out of step with God. Uh, Again, Galatians chapter 5, that 22 through 25, you may as well go ahead and memorize that. If we live by the Spirit, then we must keep in step with the Spirit. When we grieve the Spirit, what we're doing is we're getting out of step with the Spirit. He's at work, but we're not with Him. We're out of step. We are lingering behind or we're getting ahead or we've taken another path and we are not right with God and we're not doing what it is God has intended or what he has designed for us to do. Now, the, the thing about the Holy Spirit is that we, we come to know God only by, by his work. 
You only come to know Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit enables you. And then once you've come to know Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ gives you a fuller experience and understanding of the Spirit of God. Having come to know Jesus, you'll, you will understand the Spirit more and, and you will be able to live and keep in step with Him. Now, once we've repented and believed in Jesus, we have, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the capacity to pursue and recover God's design. So when we think about reality, we understand the world is not as it should be. The world was made by God to be in harmony. But we live in a world of brokenness. Why? Because of sin. Everything that hurts your heart hurts because of sin. Death exists because of sin. Sin has, has caused the great downfall of our world. But the good news is God didn't leave us here. The good news is God entered our world to bring salvation. Now, in order for us to experience this life in the gospel, we have to repent and believe. How do we do that? The power of the Holy Spirit. I need to put that on this thing. Power Spirit. Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit gives you life, when you are born again, I can't explain how it works. Let me tell you what it feels like, though. It feels like conviction. It feels like conviction. When the Holy Spirit is convicting you, as he's convicting somebody right now, <laughs> it's just coming under conviction. It just knows, right? When the Holy Spirit begins to convict you, you'll know. You'll know. I, I, it's so hard to explain, right? You just know. The Holy Spirit, I can remember being completely fine in my sin until suddenly the Spirit of God convicted me and I knew I could not stay dead to God anymore. I had to believe, and I did. I, I repent and believed, and when you repent and believe that Jesus, which the gospel is, the fact that Jesus Christ is God, died for our sins, was raised on the third day, is going to return. When you believe that good news and you stop trusting in yourself, which is repentance, then you're able to pursue and recover God's design. It's the Spirit of God that enables that to happen. So what we want to do today is we want to go deeper into how God's presence, the Holy Spirit, was revealed to us. And so we're going to start in Exodus. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, go to Exodus. And, and if, you, if you have your phone, feel free to use that. It's totally fine. I'm using an electronic device too. Um, we're going to start in Exodus 40. Now look, you need to keep your Bibles out. We are going to cover a lot of Scripture. The table of contents are your friend. Use it. All right, and keep your, your fingers loose. Let's go to Exodus chapter 40. We're going to be in verses 34 and 35. Zoe's going to read for us. So Zoe, come on up, sister. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Again, we are in Exodus chapter 40. I don't know why my Bible is so challenging to get to that section of scripture. All right. Well, no, I'm not there. Hang on. I still hear pages. Okay, good. All right. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Okay, go for it. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Good job, Zoe. Thank you. All right, if you would go and be seated. Now, look, this is just the beginning. This is just the jumping off verse. Stay there. We're going to be looking at several scriptures. All of these scriptures remind us of something very significant that, that I said last week and then we put on social media to put an exclamation point on it, and that is this. God exists for his glory, not ours. Salvation is not about us, it's about God's glory. The coming of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, revival, it's about God's glory. If you get that mixed up, then you've, you've really missed what Christianity is about. There is a lie that is being propagated on televisions all over the world today. 
and, and it claims to be Christianity. It's not. It's not Christianity. It's not real. It's, it's, it's a lie. And it's called the, they, they call it this, they call it the prosperity gospel. I, I would tell you it's a prosperity lie. But we use that term so that we could designate a distinction between the prosperity gospel and the biblical gospel. What's the difference? Well, let me show you. The prosperity gospel, it's man-centered. God exists to make sure we get what we want. God exists to make sure that, that we get our dreams fulfilled. He's here to energize us so that, so, that, so that we can be the success we want to be, so that we can have what we want. We can just name it and claim it. And God exists to make sure we get it. It's man-centered, and it, the treasure's on earth. Lord, I claim this airplane. I claim this Ferrari. I claim this, this financial thing. And, and, and it's really sad because what they tell people, and I've seen this happen in hospital rooms, the reason why you're not healed is because you don't have enough faith. You're a terrible person. You're a terrible person because you're not claiming it. You're not really believing it. And it just leads to this, this terrible shame and guilt that the, temper, the joy is temporal. It only lasts so long as the thing that you've claimed and gotten lasts, which it doesn't. Created things don't. And it leads to death. Not only eternal death because your trust is not in Christ for salvation, you're, you're, the, the trust is in, in Christ to get what we want in this world, but it destroys your soul. Jesus said, what does it profit a man to, to gain the whole world but lose their soul? This is what the prosperity gospel does. It causes you to lose your soul. What is the biblical gospel? Well, it's Christ-centered. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his glory and his goodness, the fact that he rescued us. He's the hero. It's about him. It's about his kingdom. It's about what he's doing in the world. It's about getting treasure in heaven. It's about the fact that we get to be a part of what he's doing so that one day we hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's not that you don't have stuff. It's just you understand you don't own it. You're a steward of it. So everything that you've been given mentally, emotionally, physically, you're going to be held accountable by God for it, for how you used it for his glory and his purpose. Again, there's nothing wrong with having things as long as things don't have you. And you are stewarding those things for the purpose of God. And when that purpose is being filled, there's an eternal joy. There's an eternal joy that knows I am living rightly in the will of God. I am, to the best of my ability, keeping in step with the Spirit, and, and I am a, a, a means by which God's love is flowing through my life, and it is all about Him, so that I'm experienced life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when Christ is the center of our life, we have eternal life. And that life is manifest in this world as we are delighting in Him and enjoying Him. And that's, that's only possible through the biblical gospel. You have to understand, it is only through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the biblical gospel, that you can fulfill your divine purpose. What is your divine purpose? I like the way Piper has restated the shorter catechism. He said it like this. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. The catechism says, and enjoying him forever. But I think this makes more sense. By enjoying him forever. The chief end of man, your purpose is to glorify God. How? By enjoying him forever. And we can only enjoy him forever. We can only glorify God if we are filled with the glory of God through the presence of the Holy Spirit. This has always been the case. But the way the Holy Spirit was revealed over the years, it's been different. So let's look at that. 
Let's look at how the Holy Spirit has been revealed throughout biblical history. Make note, God's presence was revealed in the tabernacle and first temple for God's glory. It wasn't for the glory of the Israelites. It was for the glory of God. It wasn't for our glory. It was for the glory of God. The first tabernacle, I'm sorry, the, the tabernacle and the first temple, were, were, uh, they revealed God's presence for God's glory. Now let's remember when this was. When was the tabernacle constructed? What we just read in Exodus chapter 40, when was that? All right, let's remember it all began with Adam. Adam fell, the world was fallen, the world got worse, so God raised up Noah, he took out uh, the, the human race, there was no one his family left. After Noah, the, the race began to build up. Abraham was chosen by God, then you had Isaac and Jacob, the sons, and then Joseph. And, and so that basically gets you through the book of Genesis. All right, after Genesis, the, the, the children of God are in Egypt, but they, they, they become embondaged in Egypt. God has to raise up Moses and lead them to freedom. So as God is leading them to the promised land, having secured their freedom from the Egyptians, he commands that the people worship him, and he provides commands for a tabernacle to be built. And that's what we read happening in Exodus chapter 40. They have built the tabernacle, and they are now dedicating the tabernacle. Look what it says. The cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Notice the repetitive nature of, of, of that description. Filled the tabernacle. The writer, the Holy Spirit, is making sure that we got that. Now, what did the, temp, what did the tabernacle look like? Well, it looked like this. It was a tent. Uh, in some places, they call it the tent of meeting. It was mobile. It was not stationary. It was meant to sit for a while, and the presence of God, the manifest presence of God, the cloud by day and fire by night, would hover over the, the, the tabernacle. But on the day they dedicated, look what happened. The glory filled the tabernacle. The Holy Spirit filled it, and, and it was so overpowering that Moses, not even Moses, could go inside of that place because it was so overpowering with the presence of God. Now, this happened again. This happened again at the dedication of the next edifice where the Spirit of God would, that the Spirit of God would fill. Go now to 2 Chronicles 7. 2 Chronicles 7. Now, let's remember when this was, okay? So, again, the Egyptian bondage, Moses is raised up, there's freedom, that's the book of Exodus, you have uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy explaining the law code, explaining God's work amongst the people. And then there's Joshua. Joshua leads God's people into the promised land. And after Joshua dies, though, uh, the people begin to abandon worship of the one true God. And that sin leads to consequences. And God has to raise up judges who will rescue them from the consequences of their sin and turn their hearts back to God. So after the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, you have the book of Joshua, then the book of Judges, and then there's the time of the kings. The people ask for a king, 
and God gives them Saul, who was not a man after God's own heart. So David comes along, and he is a man after God's own heart. He is from the line of Judah that we know was promised. We're not going to get into that, 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 that would reveal and provide the, Jesus Christ. That's from the line from which Jesus would come. And then David's son was Solomon. Solomon was called by God to build the temple. And that's what we read happening in, Sol- in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. The temple has been built. They are dedicating the temple. Now look what happens. Look very closely in, in God's word. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. Do you see the repetition again? The temple was filled. There was a manifestation of the power of God, just as on the tabernacle, the manifestation of the presence of God overcame the the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and then the glory filled, the Holy Spirit filled that edifice so that Moses could not even get into it. So here we see, centuries later, here the temple is built, same manifestation of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit again is revealed. We see the power of God, and then we see the, 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 uh, the Holy Spirit filling this place so that the priest cannot enter into it because of the power of God. Now, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and the first temple, they point to salvation in Christ alone. There's some confusion from time to time. There's people who say uh, nonsensical things like, you know, we have to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. The Old Testament no longer applies to those of us who are in the New Testament. Nonsense. The way the people were saved in the Old Testament is the same way we are saved today, after the New Testament. Everyone who is saved is saved by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. Those who are in the Old Testament were looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who would die on the cross and on the third day be raised. Those of us who are saved today, we look back to the cross where Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross and on the third day was raised. The Old Testament promised the coming of Messiah and pictured the salvation of Jesus Christ. So when you see the the temple, which is a solid edifice, you see some of the similar elements. So let's put those two side by side. What you would see at the tabernacle is you would see a place for there to be sacrifice and a place for washing. A place for sacrifice, a place for washing. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So these sacrifices in the Old Testament pointed to the Lamb of God who would come and take away the sins of the world. It's what the book of Hebrews is all about, is how Jesus Christ is the ultimate Savior, that he has fulfilled God's law and God's plan. So how does this point to Jesus? Well, there was a sacrifice, and then there was a washing, a sacrifice and a washing. How, how is a person saved? You acknowledge your sin. You believe that Jesus Christ paid for your sin by dying for you, that he was raised on the third day and is soon returning. Having accepted Jesus Christ as your personal saving Lord, you are washed. You are buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life in baptism. These elements that were made available at the tabernacle and the temple were all pointing to the coming salvation that would be made available through Jesus Christ. The same salvation that saved them is the same salvation that saves us. It's the same salvation that saves everyone. By grace, through faith, in Christ alone. And when we are saved, we can't help but publicly identify with him in obedience to his word and be baptized. Now, sadly, although given this glorious picture of the coming of Christ, 
the people of God once again turned away from God. Let's talk about what happened there. So during the time of Solomon, things were beginning to get shaky. Solomon's son, there was this whole thing with Rehoboam and Jeroboam, the kingdom of Israel got divided. So you had the northern kingdom with 10 tribes in the north, Judah and Benjamin, the southern tribes in the south. The Assyrians took out the northern kingdom in 722 BC, 586 BC, the southern kingdom was taken out by the Babylonians. The southern kingdom possessed Jerusalem geographically, the temple was under their care and control. When the, uh, when the Babylonians came uh, and, and the exile took place, Solomon's temple was completely destroyed. So that temple that we read about in, in, in 2 Chronicles 7 was completely destroyed. The children of God were taken to Babylon where they were in the exile exactly the length of days God said they would be according to the prophet Jeremiah. 72 years. Go back, look it up, it'll blow your mind. He also said, God also said in Isaiah, who would be the king, Cyrus, C-Y-R-U-S, uh, do a search on your ESV app with the name Cyrus. Go look in in the book of Isaiah, and it will blow your mind. God named the one who would tell them they could go back and rebuild the temple. So in, in the days of Ezra, Cyrus said the children of God could go back and they could rebuild the temple. Now go to Ezra now, and let's look at what happened there. There are, there are things that happen with the tabernacle and the first temple that do not happen, that do not happen with the second temple that was constructed here in Ezra. We're in Ezra chapter 6, verse 16. I want you to see this very closely. As I'm reading this, ask yourself, what's missing? What didn't happen? And the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites, and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. So they're celebrating the building of the second temple. They offered at the dedication of this house of God 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their divisions for the service of God at Jerusalem as it is written in the book of Moses. Notice what didn't happen. There was no manifestation of God's power and there was no filling of that edifice by the Spirit of God. Why? Why? Well, because God was showing the inadequacies of this man-made edifice. God was preparing the world for the next housing that would hold the Spirit of God. What was that housing? Write it down. God's presence was then revealed in the Son of God for God's glory. The next edifice was Jesus Christ. The next housing of the Holy Spirit was God in flesh. Go to Luke chapter 1, verse 35, and I want you to see this language. Don't miss this. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. Mary is having a conversation with the angel who said that she's going to give birth to the Messiah. Mary's got a very important question. I'm a virgin. How is this going to happen? And the angel answers her in verse 35. Look at the language. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Look at that. Look what the Holy Spirit's going to do. In the Old Testament, would the Holy Spirit come within? No. Was the Holy Spirit with? No. How would the Holy Spirit work? He would come upon people. 
So again, go into a word study of that, if you will, and you will see that the Holy Spirit only comes upon people. Mary is under the, the, the Old Testament time, and so the Holy Spirit has come upon her, the most, and, and, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So the, the, the next time the Holy Spirit works, he comes upon Mary. Now, Jesus is God in the flesh, and his incarnation came about by the Holy Spirit of God. So that what we see here is the first time a human being is filled with the Holy Spirit. John chapter one, verse 14, look at the language here. And the word became flesh and dwelt. That word dwelt literally is, the word is tabernacled. Again, the Bible is being very consistent, pointing to the reality of what's going on. Holy Spirit has now brought about human flesh life that life is God that life is filled with the life of the Holy Spirit and the word became flesh and dwelt tabernacled among us and we have seen his glory glory as the only son from the father full of grace and truth Jesus knew that he was the edifice that was containing and, and had within him the Holy Spirit of God that's why he said look what he said in Matthew 12 6 Matthew 12, 6, he's having a dialogue with the religious leaders. Look what he says to them. He says, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. He's talking about himself. Here's what he knows. The temple that they were, they were all bent out of shape about, the Spirit of God never filled that temple. The Spirit of God never made a manifestation of the power. It wasn't until the coming of Jesus Christ that there was a manifestation of the miraculous power of God and flesh held and had the, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit of God within humanity, the incarnation, God in flesh. Jesus is holy God, and in the flesh, he was the first human being to have the life of the Holy Spirit in him. And to be in the presence of Jesus was to be with the Holy Spirit, but you had to be in contact with him geographically. And there was something special that would happen. I mean, think about the Gospels and the stories. What would happen? What did the disciples see when they were with Jesus? They would see people healed. They would see and hear the teaching with authority. They would see demons that, that were basically just manhandled and overpowered. And yet, look what Jesus said in John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. This is in the context of Jesus explaining of the coming of the Holy Spirit. What is he saying here? He's saying that the Holy Spirit is about to come and there will be greater works possible because of the power of the Holy Spirit that will be revealed on Pentecost. These greater works include evangelism, teaching, deeds of mercy and compassion. In short, the entire ministry of the church to the world beginning with Pentecost. Now, these greater works are greater, not because they are more amazing miracles, but because they will be greater in their worldwide scope and will result in the transformation of individual lives and of the whole culture and societies of nations. And guess what, church? We get to be a part of it. We get to be a part of it because of Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, how is God's presence revealed? Write it down. God's presence is now revealed in his saints for God's glory, in us. Go now to 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul, in consistency with all of the rest of Scripture, now tells the church 
where the Holy Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit has worked and what it means for us. This is glorious. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple? You are a temple, a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You who believe in Jesus Christ are a temple. You are now the edifice that holds the Spirit of God. By being born again, the Spirit of God has entered into you and brought conviction. You've been regenerated, and so you repent, you believe, you're baptized, and now His life is in you so that now you are able to glorify God. Now, how do we glorify God? By enjoying Him forever. Christian, do you enjoy God? Or is he just a responsibility, a got to, a duty? You know, last week, some of you heard, I was in Washington, D.C. with Asher and a bunch of sixth graders. And it was fun. (laughs) I mean, I'm not, it was all right. (laughs) Do you know what has happened the whole time? I kept wishing that my wife Carrie was there because something would would happen or something would someone would say something I would think ooh I would love to know what Mrs. Pettis would say about that and then there would be times when something would happen and 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 I would want to say something to her it'd be a joke that only she would get that would make her die laughing that would make me die laughing and it would have made it so much more enjoyable I enjoy life when my wife is there. And you know how I most glorify her? It's not by me going home and going, oh, yeah, I forgot you were here. Yes, yes, we're still married. It's great. Really thankful for you. Yes, I'll show up. Yes, I'll be there. Yes, I'll do what I'm supposed to do. Yes. That does not glorify my wife. You know what glorifies my wife? when I talk about how much I enjoy being with her and when I genuinely enjoy just being with her. Do you enjoy being with God? I mean, do you really enjoy him speaking to you through his word and you speaking to him through prayer? Do you enjoy just being in his presence? Do you enjoy him this morning? Are you enjoying this? Are you enjoying hearing the preaching of his word and the singing praise to his name and praying to him? Because I'm gonna tell you something, whether you mean to or not, you are bringing glory to God because right now, many of your neighbors know you're at church. And they're thinking to themselves, those weirdos are back at that building. Listen to that bald guy teach out of that Bible. But you know what you're saying is, this is more important. This is the most important thing. It's the first part of my week. I'm giving him the first fruits. You know, you glorify God when you give God the first fruits of your money and your time. When you're tired and you don't want to serve and you serve anyway, you're giving glory to God, not because you have to, but because you enjoy it. Because you're glad to get to be a part of it. Are you enjoying Him? See, you glorify God by enjoying Him and sharing Him. C.S. Lewis says this in, in his little book on Psalms. He said, people spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. 
Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. They, the delight is incomplete until it is expressed. Some of you are not enjoying God and glorifying Him and delighting in it because you don't talk about Him. Your Christian faith is a secret to your business associates, to your neighbors, some of you to your family. Because it's not the first thing on your lips. It's not the thing that you talk about the most. It's not what you're most identified by. It's not, it's not what delights your soul more than anything else. You know what you talk about? You talk about what delights you. You speak to what moves you. How often do you tell your God story? How often do you speak of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life today? How often do you talk of how you spent time alone with God and how God has just, just overwhelmed you with his wonder and goodness and love? Christians, do you really enjoy God? Or is he just a have to? I can tell you, if you don't, you're not glorifying him. You're not glorifying him. You're not fulfilling your purpose. Your life is not full. Some of you can never glorify God in your current condition because you're, you're in sin. You're at odds with God. But I have good news. Jesus Christ has died to pay the penalty for your sin. If you'll ask him, he'll forgive you. And your life and God's life become one. And you can become a temple of the Holy Spirit of God today. All you got to do is ask. Some of you are children of God. And if you're honest, if you're honest, you don't enjoy him. You don't. He's, he's, a, he's something you do because your parents make you or because it's a habit, a tradition. It's just something you do. There's not a delight. You lost that a long time ago. You had it once. You can remember when you were saved and you were overjoyed and maybe at a, at a, at a certain high point in your life. But if you're honest, Benny, right now, you're not revived. You need to repent. And you need to ask God to renew your enjoyment of him by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he'll help you if you'll ask him. Some of you need help today. Ask him. He's your father. He wants you to ask him. He's shown you what to ask. He wants you to ask him. He wants you on your knees asking him. If not for you, for someone who needs his help. And you come in the name of Jesus. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You have God's undivided attention. When you bow your knee and you speak your heart, According to God's word, the Lord listens to you. Why don't you come talk with him? Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the manifestation, revelation of the spirit of God. Lord, I pray for some today who do not have peace with you because they are lost in their sin, that today they would come get on their knees and ask you to forgive them and give them new life under your leadership. Father, I pray for some of your children today who've lost their delight in you, that loving feeling. <laughs> they can remember a time when they delighted in you, when they enjoyed you, but it's not been for a while. And I pray today that they would repent of that and that you would help them to be renewed. God, hear those who come to ask you to do a miracle in the life of someone they love, to bring renewal to them.
to provide for a need. You, you hear us because we come in Jesus' name and the power of the Spirit. Come and pray.